Okay, here we go now. Well, welcome to Old Dog New Tech, the podcast that explores edtech ideas, innovations, and integration methods from the experienced old dog side of things. My name is Jeff West, and I've been a K-12 music educator for 27 years, and I am passionate about edtech. I love using it. So let's get started at taking a look at how this can be used in your classroom. Previously on Old Dog New Tech, try letting your students uh, lead a discussion, or uh, if you think that uh, it would work, try a Twitter broadcast, maybe with your best talkers. You know, ask the students what needs uh, work and go with their suggestions, and that will empower them, and it allows you then to kind of facilitate the discussion that can help you build future discussions. Students need repetition and affirmation that they're on the right track. Welcome to episode 42, part two of a three, kind of a three series, three part series uh, about discussion. I have done some use with tech, uh, integrating tech, but also just fostering students' discussion skills and and um, I found that this was particularly uh, a need because I mostly you find, as I'm sure you've got to find in your classroom, when you ask a question, you get answers from a select group. And while I'm really appreciative of those and those students, and I'm and I'm glad they're speaking up, I want to get a, I wanted to get through to all. I wanted to get everyone involved because it builds that community. And then it can enhance or deepen, you know, their learning. And there were some results that, that uh, I wasn't expecting. And that's kind of why I'm doing this series, kind of doing a step-by-step and kind of highlighting some things I noticed that I didn't expect. Uh, and talking about the things that I was hoping to see that I did most of the time. And some things that, uh, you know, failed. They didn't go well. So in this series... In this part, uh, I'm going to talk about how once I got some discussions rolling by utilizing my talkers uh, and uh, trying some different types of discussions, I decided to create some discussion environments that would help all students respond. And I would collect their opinions on things, and almost—I don't want to call it easy or no-brainers—but, but, but um, they were discussions where I knew the students had some experience with the topics, and also that they were open and broad. That it was really more about uh, eliciting their opinion, and then discussing how we, how we or they arrived at those opinions. So that's what we're going to talk about in this particular part. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the tech that I used and how it helped with my integration because the way that I used the tech was open uh, for failure. So it could go bad and then I could adapt to it. It didn't take a lot of time out from my lesson. And I was able to kind of adapt and make quick changes. So here's what I did. Once I, I uh, did some different types of discussions, 
uh, and I centered in on some that seemed to meet the needs of my students, and I accepted the fact that there would be more leaders than others, and I would try to directly ask certain students, and if they didn't answer, you know, I just said, okay, that's cool, we'll, we'll get back to it, um, and kind of focused on the fact that w- we were working on building uh, an environment where everyone was comfortable with stating their opinion or their uh, fact, what they thought was fact. And uh, it kind of alleviated uh, a bit of the stress, I think, that students feel because they don't want to look foolish. And they feel they're going to look foolish, even sometimes when they have the right answers or they have really thoughtful you know, uh, uh, opinions things that they have formed, but they're afraid to share because they don't want to look foolish. So, you know, it took a few times of, of, of trying to, and failing at discussions and realizing, okay, I've got to do something to alleviate that feeling of foolishness. Mm -hmm. So I um, started to use some questions that uh, for 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 discussions that uh, had no right answer, that they could have a multitude of answers, even though uh, you tend to center, you tend to get three or four particular answers as things go. There might be just little twists or something, you know, different variables. So, but mainly, uh, I used the styles of of discussion, say a fishbowl style, or I put them in small groups, or uh, it would just basically be a your opinion is, and sometimes it would just be a quick, okay, how many agree? Raise your hand. And I would do a little tally on the board, wouldn't use any tech because the focus was discussion. So, you know, I know I'm focusing on ed tech integration here in this podcast, but I want to make the point that in my old dog side, I'm, you know, I have been teaching without tech for so long that some of the methods that I used, you know, I was was forgetting that they they work when you use them in a in the right way or uh, students are also used to those old ways we think that because they have the smartphone and we call them quote unquote a digital native that anything that not utilizing tech is not very engaging and that's just not the case they still respond just as quickly because they know the form. They know the raise the hand and take a vote. They know the fill out a note card and turn it in um, ideas. So I wanted to gather their opinion because I thought that was the key to fostering a discussion, asking them to put their feelings and opinions into a survey or writing if that would work for you. If that's something that, you know, it's in your classroom and it is in most. And in mine, I mean, we do some writing, but more Moreover, uh, more often than not, rather, it's about the performance on the instrument and developing musical skills. But I found they weren't always remembering the skills we had developed from day to day because they weren't, you know, they they weren't a, a deep learned technique. They were just answer the question and move on, and then the next day you'd have to answer the same question again and again, and so we kind of hit these walls of, uh, of development. Uh, we couldn't quite get over that. And I, I, I found, and as I researched, I found that, that, uh, um, when students can state 
their purpose and why they're doing something, you know, and they own it and it's their responsibility, that there's a, a much better chance that they're going to do it without being prompted, without some rehearsal or, or rote learning, however you want to look at it. So also, though, when I started taking a survey, it gave me a, other avenues to kind of see what other types of discussions would work. So once I gave them questions that they could answer and not have to worry about whether they're correct or not as far as performance on music or something like that, that they might not be as comfortable answering, but just more about an environment or a function in life. So what did I do? Here's what I'm, here's what I did. Here's what I'm talking about. Um, I read a book by Daniel Pink called uh, When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And I would highly suggest you give that book a read. It's an excellent book. And I decided to put some of the knowledge from there. It was very, uh, from that book rather, it was very inspiring in that at the same time I read the book, I was having, doing some thinking and some reading and some research on how do I get discussions, the sharing back and forth of of ideas. How do I get that to go smoother, get the students to take ownership? And one part of the book suggests that ways of getting a group in sync. And uh, there's a lot of detail I'm leaving out here. I'll probably say that a couple of times, uh, trying to you know save the length of the podcast here. But um, we're there was a set of questions in there that I wanted that I once I read it I thought this I need to use this and this is a this might be the answer to get everyone involved. So um, I use I use them as a self reflection. Sometimes I don't even ask them to say an answer out loud. I just ask them to consider, particularly because some of them are sometimes focused on behavior. So if behavior is not going the way I would like it to go, I kind of bring these questions up. And even the author suggests that you should be reviewing these questions weekly. And um, I try to get to that. You know, I don't think I could do it weekly. But uh, as far as reviewing all the questions, but I do review them, uh, I would say, it couple of weeks within a month because sometimes again I fall into my old ways once I get rolling then my old practices and methods kind of take over and so I I have to make a note to make sure I'm taking a look at these so um, but I noticed as we looked at it that the environment for discussing started to change and other discussions progressed much quicker and so I had started this uh, during the uh, Twitter broadcast and so forth, I suggested in the previous uh, podcast to kind of get discussions rolling. And um, I had used this during that time. And then here in the mid part, when I use them again, I've, I found that not only did I get different answers, but they were reflecting much deeper thought. And when the students came up with the answers, and you'll hear what I'm talking about here when I tell you the questions, they had solutions. If there was a problem that stemmed out of that, um, that, that solutions were, were starting to be suggested. Again, I think those were always there. They just were intimidated to, to voice them. So here are the questions. And again, this comes from uh, when the scientific uh, 
secrets of perfect timing and how to get a group in sync. So do we have a clear boss, whether it's a person or an external standard? Who, who, and th does this boss engender respect, whose role is unambiguous, and whom everyone can direct their initial focus? So sometimes that boss is me. Sometimes it's their leaders. You know, it, it is a person. But more often, it is a standard. It's how we want to sound. It's how a group needs to run in order for the group to be successful. And that doesn't always line up with their personal life boss or standard. They might want to be on their phone when they shouldn't be on their phone. To state a real simple example, I think that more people see that is that technology can be such a distraction if the individuals have this clear boss, this standard, okay, I want to achieve at a particular level, so therefore I have to exhibit particular behaviors to put it in a scientific mode. In other words, I need to put my phone away and work on my music. Question number two, are we fostering a sense of belonging that enriches individual identity, deepens affiliation, and allows everyone to synchronize to the tribe? In the book, he spoke of tribes. And in that previous question, he talked about groups have a clear boss, whether it's the clear director of the group or the standard that the group has. All right. And the third question, are we activating the uplift? In other words, feeling good and doing good. That this is necessary for a group to succeed. So the point in the book, the point that I took from the book was that we can sometimes be focused on feeling good. We enjoy being on our phone and checking Snapchat but it doesn't necessarily help the group do good. And then in the future, down the line, in my case, a performance doesn't go so well, or uh, even a rehearsal close to a performance, and we're all kind of looking at each other going, oh my gosh, we're in trouble, we need to practice. Well, we needed to kind of foster these two good feelings. The feeling good right now works for now, but in the future when you're not prepared and the music doesn't go as well as you'd like, that doesn't feel all that great and the group doesn't do that well. So somehow we have to find this balance to get in sync. And so we had several discussions and we continue to have those discussions and sometimes the students bring them up in the midpoint of this. Now I'm, I'm uh, November, December, around my holiday concert time. Football season is over and we had... We had done um, we had done well at the marching festival we go to, and uh, students were kind of uh, policing is the best word I can think of, but they were starting to police themselves, run the group. They missed little things here or there that they needed me to step in and help with. But for the most part, I had good leaders in place who had been those same people who were in the early discussions who were comfortable telling each other, hey, I saw this person's having trouble with this. Do you want some help with this? Or, you know, we need to work on that then. Yeah, my group needs it too. They were sharing what needed to be done to make the group better. So they were feeling good about talking and trying to find solutions to help the group do good. And this started to kind of have a ripple effect out. 
And I found that as a section leaders might be discussing uh, something, a member might step in and say, yeah, I noticed that too. And I had trouble with this. So I stopped and talked to them about it. And, and this kind of, I feel, is a byproduct of the early discussions that we had in the fall. Then also, when we took time, and I did a Google form with these questions, and or I didn't do a Google form at all, and I would say, now, are we behaving in a way that promotes everyone belonging, or are we segregating our group based upon their ability or what they're showing us? Is it, it's easy to do that, and I think it still gets done. It just doesn't solve that. But maybe this is something in, in your classroom that you can utilize this type of relationship building, but then these questions are open, and everyone can see the answers. And I think it's pretty clear. It states your purpose to make them better people, the group a better group, even if it's something where it's not necessarily a performance group where they're in there as individuals to learn a content, they they will work together better, which then we know deepens learning when we have uh, an openness to opinion being stated and discussed and uh, a level of professionalism. So those three questions are excellent, and I think I think they need to be utilized probably more than they are. Um, I think I see that from time to time in, in other instances in different forms, you know, not in other words, those particular, that particular wording of the question isn't used. But I think we talk about your behavior, a student's behavior, say, detracting from the overall environment of the classroom. But I'm not sure that students understand that whole synchronization piece that that uh, Daniel Pink uses and speaks to in his book, and I'm sure other authors have in other books. And this kind of goes along with the whole discussion uh, piece, that it's difficult for them to talk about it because they haven't really ever talked about it. They have to do it. And I think we, th we teachers and adults remember back in, in our young days that it was just assumed if you can talk, you can talk about anything. But then sometimes uh, there were a few instances where, you know, it was recognized, well, you're just a kid. What do you know? But I don't think we look at um, all subjects that way when we're discussing things. We might be able to, say, talk to them about a specific uh, medical topic, let's say, and, and say, well, being a kid, you wouldn't understand that. But yet we start talking about emotions, everybody's happy or sad and so forth, but kids also have a lack of ability to discuss that. And they, but they don't just have the ability just to discuss. So you need to start with something they know and work with that. And they're fast. Man, once they took off with this and once they saw it, I, that it had value to them. Um, uh, the the level of discussion that they were able to foster without me saying a word, I would just sit and smile, and and until it kind of you know discussion would dwindle out, and I'd say, well, you guys have a lot of good ideas. How do you want to how do you want to go at them? And then it would go off again, and that was really what I envisioned. But I had I had no idea that it would you know ever 
happen. So I think my point here in this is, sure, you can use Google Forms, you could use a Kahoot, you could use note cards, you could use the whiteboard. But my point on this is that have, going back to that underlying point that the kids want to be good, they just don't always look like they want to be good. They don't always behave that way. They don't always communicate that with you. And if you can build discussion um, skills, foster them through using some of the suggestions of other lists or the, the techniques that I'm talking about that I used, um, and you can integrate some technology, it just there's so many positive, good things happening here. But I want to be clear, I'm not saying only with technology. I think that face-to-face piece, that person-to-person is, and there are more and more articles coming out saying this in research, that is vital in the development of uh, any skill for a young person. So I don't use the questions word for word. You know, can these be the thing for you? You know, you need to read Find, do a little bit of research, read a couple of articles. Um, and my tech tip, I'm going to highlight a few places to go to find information on, on really this or any other subject you might be interested in, um, how to develop it or how to use it with tech. But you need, to, you need to be the professional and make the decision on what your students need. And sometimes you can ask them a little bit, what do you think, how would this work? So as we went through those questions, I would support it with the research that had been done. And uh, we had great discussion on how to get these questions, answers rather, happening in our group. We focused on the control uh, over the successes uh, of the implementation. Once we saw some success, I said, well, look, this is us feeling good, doing good. This is us accepting and, and promoting this acceptance of all ideas. So fostering not only to develop communication skills, but it also enhanced their learning because once they understood it, then that learning piece that was already in place from their past years of school took over in their mind. So it might, it might seem that losing time to something that's not directly connected to your specific content, like, like a discussion skill, but uh, might might not seem like the best use of time. But when student ingra- uh, engagement increases, I kind of felt like I made up time that I felt like I was losing early on and that I'm able to, uh, we're able to communicate with each other much quicker and clearer. University of Maryland has a website, uh, Teaching and Learning Transformation Center. And I thought this quote kind of sums it up. Devote a moment to communicating the value of discussion to your students. It may help to convey your rationale for discussion, perhaps deepening not only their sense of why they are expected to engage in active learning, but also their engagement with the course. And I think that's what happened. I focused on getting them engaged in discussing and then we became more engaged in what we were doing. There was a clearer understanding there was a boss, whether it was me or the standard or a section leader or an idea. 
So I handed the responsibility over to them <clears throat> by facilitating discussion, just as a kind of closing point here. And I posed whether or not the questions would be helpful and how we could implement them. And again, I want to restate, I'm leaving out some information from the book. As far as research, you want to get that book and read it. It's fascinating. But my point remains, determine what you want your classroom discussion to look like. Do some research and find some questions and evaluate them. And then decide how they fit. It will foster relationships. And that will develop uh, your environment and make it conducive to more engaging discussions. So again, if you want to game it up a bit, use Kahoot or assign certain questions to different groups and then do the old raise your hand, do you agree, disagree with what this group came up with? Um, sometimes those old ways are just as valid and useful as the new ways, the new tech. Utilizing the information that I gleaned from the few surveys from the George Kuros questions that I mentioned in the part one of this uh, podcast series, or using the ones here by uh, Daniel Pink, you, you get the students' opinions and you get them thinking. Um, my students, and I think most all students, are interested in how do we make change? How, do, how does this happen? And when you can show them here, we know this works because here's the research. Here are some really good questions. Um, they are very interested in finding those things that they can use right now, kind of like andragogy, like they're a little bit in adult learning theory, not so much pedagogy, where adults want things they can use right away. Kids are a lot like that as well. They want to see value. So I would uh, I'd strongly suggest you take this as an opportunity to integrate some tech. Again, you can use it, and if the questions in the text not quite meeting your needs, it's not a big deal. It's still about the questions. You can kind of get used to Google Forms or Kahoot or however you want to, whatever piece of technology you want to use. But it, I, it will enhance your discussion, build the, foster those mm -hmm. skills, and then it will also uh, kind of foster your tech skills. You know, if you're kind of at this beginning stages of integrating pieces of tech, this is an excellent way. So in a minute here, I will, uh, rather in the next segment, I'm going to do a little tech tip about some research areas to look up some things. But um, I wanted to just kind of say that uh, since I'm doing this, these podcasts on discussions, and it's not so much with the tech, I think it's, uh, I think it's a really an excellent opportunity for anyone who is still questioning their ability with integrating technology. This would be a, a excellent for your students, the discussion skills developed, but then also for developing um, those tech skills that maybe you think you don't have. Remember, just be patient with it. Don't try to rush it. And now it's time for your tech tips. This week, I am going to put several uh, places you can go to read some articles and do uh, some research on discussion, on integrating tech, on really anything classroom management. You can find a lot of information on 
on these topics at these areas and these websites. Um, particularly, I'll start with the first one that I use a lot in this podcast and will continue to, Edutopia. I have two articles listed uh, in my show notes and then a list of discussion guidelines they came up with. Uh, one of bringing all students into the discussion and the other is scaffolding student reflections and then the discussion guidelines about eight of them with suggestions on like the beginning of a sentence, you know, I believe that dot, dot, dot. The, uh, I'll also put uh, a link to Daniel Pink's book, uh, When the Scientific Search for Perfect Timing. It's not search, that's why I paused. Drew a total blank, kaboom. My old brain shutting down on me. Uh, the University of Maryland's uh, Learning and Teaching and Learning Transformation Center. Um, they had some excellent suggestions for discussion uh, strategies and uh, fostering those skills and students and why we should do that and you know what that what that helps with in in the educational process. So Edutopia would definitely be one. Ed Surge. Ed Surge um, has several articles that tend to be more focused on uh, tech integration. Um, however, I think I read whenever I read a, a, a tech integration article, I look at it as if, could I do this without the tech? And a lot of times the answer is no. But there are some times where you could, what happens if the power goes out, you know, approach and uh, you just go back to the old paper pencil method, but they're good methods. A good method is a good method with tech or without tech. And so Ed Surge has several uh, good ideas in that way. Another that I use is Teach Thought. Um, I use Teach Thought quite a bit, uh, particularly when I was looking at learning theories. They had some very um, concise explanations of learning theories. So if you're, you know, curious about that, you want to integrate a little different approach to delivering content, or you want to look into a learning theory because maybe your students could use that. Uh, Teach thought would be, definitely be a great resource for that. Um, I would. I'm going to put some journals uh, also, some online journals in which you can take a look and find some information. In fact, as I was looking up these journals, getting ready for the podcast, I found uh, an article that I'm going to use in my next segment um, where someone had actually done some research and com comparison on synchronous and asynchronous discussion. In other words, whether you do it online and everybody's there in the chat room or whether it's a discussion post that happens at whenever the posts happen, you know, you just read them and you go back and read it. So um, there was some interesting research being done there and some findings and how that enhanced learning and deepened learning. Um, I, you know, really, I think if you just did uh, an advanced search uh, in Google, uh, you're going to end up with some things from Google scholar, but you're going to end up with, um, some free online journals that might, you know, uh, give you some ideas and some inspiration, um, some peer-reviewed, and they're free. You don't have to subscribe or pay. So I'll put those in my show notes. 
American Educational Research Journal is one that I came across. Um, and there was one more here, if I can find in my notes. I believe it was out of Utah State. Yes, an academic and uh, their academic and instructional services. And I would bet many universities have these lists online, but this one I found from Utah State University that lists several peer-reviewed journals for online teaching and learning. So if you're getting to a point where you're not real sure about your tech integration, you know, how to do it, there's all kinds of research and articles on there, and uh, maybe this will help you click and find something that works for you. As always, um, there is one piece of tech called ClassKick. I'll put the link there that um, I came across while I was listening to Jennifer Gonzalez on Cult of Pedagogy. And uh, either when I looked into that uh, tool, I found there's a lot of, a lot of um, resources in that tool, different ways of keeping track of discussions or even just uh, teaching and putting things online with your classes and uh, assignments and making things a little more interactive. So you might want to check that out if you're ready to do that. If not, I would highly suggest you just kick into Kahoot or Google Forms and uh, ask some of those open-ended questions that I put from Daniel Pink or from George Kuros or from whatever you find. Uh, gives you a chance to get used to using tech and it fosters uh, discussion skills in your students. That brings episode 43 to a close. I hope you have a good uh, week. I should be back uh, with the third part of this in a uh, couple of days, maybe by this weekend. We'll see. We've been out of school a lot, and then I, uh, I've been out of school a, a little bit with, uh, well, I slipped on the ice. I'll just say it that way. So hope you're staying safe. I'm on the mend. Have a good week. This has been Old Dog New Tech with Jeff West. You can reach me at olddognewtech10 at gmail.com. That's olddognewtech10 at gmail.com. Send me an email or leave me a review on iTunes. And remember, when integrating tech into your classroom, don't try to be perfect. Just be patient.